Welcome to the top M&A entrepreneurs. Today, my guest is Daniel Sweet. Daniel, welcome. Daniel is actually driving today, so we only have him audio. Welcome to the show, Daniel. Thanks, John. I really appreciate it. Uh, I apologize for uh, taking this driving, but this is uh, this is how 2021 works these days, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, we're driving back in before everybody be home with COVID. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Yeah. So, what? Tell me a little bit more about your history with uh, buying, selling, acquiring businesses. Where are you in this? So, what we do? We're a Texas-based company. Uh, and we buy Texas-based companies. So what we did, we, we put together a group of myself and two others, uh, and we buy businesses within our backgrounds. So for instance, my background is 27 years in IT, so we buy technology. Uh, one of the other partners has extensive experience in energy, so we buy within there. And the other one in 30-plus years in construction, and so we buy construction companies, all within the state of Texas. And our reason for that is just that the, uh, uh, the network that we've built up in the state of Texas for people to bring in as additional or replacement leadership positions uh, is, is pretty vast. Uh, so it gives us an advantage uh, as a small company being able to put people we know in place to be in charge of these companies. Yeah. So how did you guys start this? Did you sit around a you know, dinner table one day or you guys work together and say, hey, let's start buying companies, form a fund or what? <laughs> so uh, actually, while I was working for Mega Globo Corp, uh, one of several, uh, I actually started to, I talked to some M&A guys that were there and I, you know, it was really interesting to me. I like learning stuff. And uh, so I asked them, is there any reason this couldn't be done on a smaller scale? Um, because I, you know, I had done a lot of different positions within technology. I started out as a giant nerd. I got dared into sales at one point, did sales and sales management, opened offices, did all that. And I understand, understood how we could build business within a small IT firm. Uh, and they, their answer was basically, well, there's no reason you couldn't, except for, you know, it's not worth the time and effort, uh, cause they were doing billion dollar deals. So, okay, well, I'm smaller than that. Uh, so I started it at a real small level with technology companies. Uh, and then, you know, down the road, the company that I was working for had invited myself and thousands of my closest friends to try something new. Uh, but they gave a nice uh, severance package. Uh, and I decided I was going to pursue this full time. And uh, two of my buddies that were in a similar situation uh, joined with me in this and brought their experience levels. And uh, we're, we were able to approach this together for slightly larger businesses. Uh, and, uh, you know, after we, you know, got started, we just got hooked. It's, you know, this is so much better than living in the mega global co corporation world for us. And, uh, so and, it's working, just now... and working for somebody else. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So when are you talking about the size of, let me go back to this. Did you guys have yeah. a fund, put your pool, your money together and say, Hey, 33, 33, 33%, or did, was it, how do we buy these companies with, you know, le leveraged buyouts, let's say? So there were, a, what we discovered was there was a thousand different ways to structure a deal. Yeah. So we did have our own money that we put into the deal. Uh, and we were just arranging what we would purchase based on each individual company that we bought. Uh, and so we, you know, the first company we ever bought, the, uh, we did the thing that is probably the easiest to do on your first company. 
And that is we used an SBA loan. We all went in for the 10% piece that we had to put in yep. uh, and uh, used the SBA 10 years and low interest to uh, leverage that up uh, and got our first company. Uh, and what, what after was we that? learned more, what was that? What was the company? Yeah. That was M-Link Technologies. Say that one more time. Sorry. I'm sorry. It's M-Link Technologies. M-Link. They're an uh, e-learning company. E-learning company. Cool. What kind of revenue was that doing? Uh, so they were doing uh, right over a million a year, give or take. Okay. A uh, million, two, million, three. Uh, and nice margins because it was all uh, in-house. Uh, it's just, it's a consultancy. So they're building interactive video training for Fortune 2000 companies. Oh, interesting. Uh, and and so, how of did course, you guys find that? Was that in your previous network of contacts? Well, so actually, there was one guy who we partnered with on this deal who was in our previous network of contacts. Uh, he spent his career in the e-learning industry, learning and e-learning. Uh, and he had known the owner of this company for like 20 years. He was ready to retire. Uh, and he was looking for people to partner with who could bring the uh, financial side of things uh, so that we could all uh, approach it and uh, take a company that was doing well through the pandemic because everybody has to do video training now yeah. uh, and expand that. So what were your, what were your thoughts when you first saw it said, this guy has been doing it for 20 years. It's only in a million bucks. Is it, is this a total addressable market or is this just guy doesn't see how to take it to two to five to 10? So with almost all of our companies, including this one, it's usually the latter. So they get to a, a comfortable size for them that gives them the lifestyle income they're looking for. And they maintain that size for a long period of time. And, and half of it is because everything has to go through the owner. So they have zero time left. Um, and so they can't expand it because it relies on them. Yep. Uh, and half of it is because they're real comfortable at that size. They don't want any more of a management burden. Uh, frankly, they're not very good at sales and marketing at all. Yep. Uh, and so they, they do what they do so well that all these customers keep coming back to them. So they stay in business uh, and they don't, they don't really want to grow it any larger because that would be too much of a pain. So they're basically a fortune, you know, fortune 1000 companies doing e-learning. Basically he had to be saying no to a lot of potential prospects. Well, <laughs> so again, the only way he got new customers was if somebody left one of his current customers went to a new place and said, Hey, these guys are great. And then they'd bring him along. So he wasn't doing any real prospecting for the last 20 years. Yeah. So what type of EBITDA or multiple did you guys settle on with that an e-learning company? Uh, so in this particular case, uh, we were at a two and change uh, multiple. Uh, and so it, it was a, uh, it was a real nice uh, setup. And it, uh, the, the company itself was, again, set up for operations, very uh, tight operations, uh, but the, there was no real sales and marketing. Yeah. Uh, so we could see where it could grow pretty rapidly after that. Yeah. So, so two, two multiple, that's actually a very reasonable price to, in it. Uh, what kind of salary was he taking out of the business? It sounds like a family-run business, like lifestyle business. Right. Right. Yeah. So he was actually uh, taking uh, just over a hundred out of salary. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, obviously the rest of the distributions. 
he didn't stay with the business as a consulting or anything with the SBA. Uh, he did for, we kept him on for three months. The SBA has a limit of 12. Uh, if you're going to acquire through an SBA, you cannot keep the owner on longer than 12 months under any circumstances. Right. Uh, so we kept him on for three months to do the transition over. Uh, and that, and now, and you know, he was available by phone after that, but that, that worked out real well. But the, by that time you figured out how to run a million dollar business. There wasn't anything you could. Well, actually, yeah. Exactly. So, I mean, it was the good news about businesses like this is that more or less it's business as usual. Um, because all of their business came from referrals and repeat customers. So if you stood around and did nothing, it would continue. Now, obviously you've got debt payments and everything else to make, but it would be able to continue on on its own. Um, bef- so if you, if you stood and sto- stared at it, it wouldn't be bad. And then, you know, when you ha- have the ability, you can apply the changes. And, and the guy we had uh, running the company was uh, the, the person who had been the operations manager for 20 years, basically. Yeah. Did you guys, the three of you, co-sign equally on the loan, 33%? No, no. Uh, we were primary, uh, and uh, we had uh, the guy in, in Dallas who brought it to us, and one of the other uh, people that we partnered with, they were both uh, small minority partners. Was he kind of more like a sponsor uh, uh, share? Did he get a sponsor share of 10%, 15%? Uh, so he ended up at uh, 19%, just stay 19. under the uh, SBA window there. Yeah. Uh, right. If you're 20% or above your lifetime limit of uh, a five million or your concurrent limit of $5 million for SBA is eaten into for a hundred percent of the loan, regardless of what percentage you are. Uh, so he stayed under that limit at 19 uh, and the other uh, actually wanted to participate at 20. Uh, so they were both playing an active role, not a day-to-day role, but they were actively uh, working with us to manage the company. Yeah. How, how did the books look when he turned them over to you? Were they, you know, ready to go, QuickBooks, produced them in five minutes, or was it, you know, it's a lifestyle business and I'll put my spreadsheets together when I get a chance? Did you talk to the owner before this? No. <laughs> I've seen it a hundred times. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. Yes. And it worked for him. Like I said, for, for forever, he did his books, uh, on spreadsheets. He was very, you know, detailed and meticulous because he was a tech guy at heart. Uh, and he handed him off to his accountant and said, there it is, go do something with it. Uh, so it, that's ultimately the, there were no, there was no application really. There were no QuickBooks. There was uh, nothing that was, uh, intended for financial transactions. Yeah. There's a, there's a business I'm looking at right now. It's a translation business, Spanish, uh, you know, teaches people Spanish and it's been around yeah. for 10 years. So the HRFs are great. SEO is great. The, the challenge is he didn't keep any books over any of the years. So I said, look, we, I, I got to get your bank statements. I mean, I, I don't know if you're making money or losing money, like, and you commingling exactly. it with all your other op, you know, your projects here. So I'm not making an offer. I'm not sending you any money until we see your bank statements. And that is being slow walked. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah. The uh, bank statements plus tax statements is the only way to validate that. Yeah. Yeah. So what did you guys look at this business and say, Hey, this could be a 5 million or $10 million business. And you knew exactly what to do. 
so uh, the guy we partnered with was the industry expert, and he was showing us the comparables for other companies. Yeah. And it turns out the e-learning industry is really fragmented. So there's no real 800-pound gorilla there. Uh, so the growth through a combination of actually adding a sales team uh, and potential other acquisitions that we could add to it just from other regions, uh, the potential was at least 10 million over our, our hold period is five years. So at least 10 million over five years. Did you, um, is it, are you in the reinvestment stage? Everything, all cash flows go back into the business or are you actually taking some kind of profits out where, or distributions out for as the owners? So- Usually what happens is the first year, all cash flows end up going back in the business because of the expansions that we do. Yeah. We, we, we spend all that money on growth. Um, after that, we do a, uh, a uh, fraction of profits paid out quarterly to the ownership. Okay. Yeah. And is, are you seeing that right now? Uh, by the way, what was the profit margin on the e-learning company? I, and the reason I brought this up is co- Four or five years ago, I was trying to buy an e-learning company that had all yep. of his courses on Udemy, and he had it was doing two million a year, ninety-seven percent profit margin. Wow! Oh, it was just he was a cash machine. He put five million dollars in his bank account. That's crazy. Well, yeah. so the the difference with this company is that. Uh, they're doing custom e-learning. So everything they do is a new creation. So that's the downside. Oh, that's a coding. Okay. Usually, yeah. So the IP is generally owned by their client. Ah, uh, so in that case, but it was still a 25% profit. No, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Where? So how long ago did you buy that? And where are you at in the uh, results, the planned results? metrics so we bought them uh so that one we bought a little a year ago roughly yeah uh and we have we have spent all the money on growth uh absolutely uh so the uh but we we've had a surge of sales as a result of that Uh, and so rolling into the new year uh you know with uh with all these uh works in progress, you know, you've got billable milestones. Uh, so as we get into the new year, there is a, uh, a huge amount of uh, uh, outstanding AR that uh, we are now beginning to collect. So we're kicking it into gear for the second real full year, second calendar year anyway. Um, and uh, it, it, it's, it's shaping up really nicely. We've got a lot of new clients. Um, and there were a lot of, uh, delays from 2020 that were, that happened in 21, but among these fortune 2000s, there were, there were some of those projects that were delayed even further. Yeah. Uh, so there's a number of projects that are coming up in 22 now, uh, that are really nice for us. Yeah. What, what are you trying to add a revenue now? One year, 12 months later. Uh, so we're pushing 2 million, right. uh, and the, uh, uh, this coming year, we expect that to accelerate pretty nicely. Yeah. Have you guys figured out a system of like, you know, this is the best type of business. This rings the bell. Let's not do that. <laughs> so uh, we found a lot of let's not do that. Um, realistically, what we tend to end up buying, I don't want to say we specialize in this, but that's what we end up buying. 
seems to be mostly professional services firms, which I would not say are, you know, a thousand times uh, growth in a few years. That's not them. Uh, but we've gotten pretty good at getting the professional services firms up and running and with a sales and marketing system in place so that they can uh, increase nicely uh, over the period that we hold them. Yeah. So you... I'm, I might not recommend professional services to most people, but yeah. it just happens to be where our backgrounds are mostly. Yeah. Where, uh, what's your plan for this? I mean, is it to grow, you know, let's say 5 million, keep it, hold, keep it, hold or what? Buy and hold. Uh, so for this particular one, because it's so uh, well positioned for additional add-ons, we're probably going to hold this much longer than the five year period. Uh, we've already added a executive coaching and leadership training company to it. Oh, did uh, you? That, fits real nicely because they go after that same fortune 2000 buyer of training. Uh, so where one side is looking at uh, leadership training and improving the, the leadership behaviors that make their teams more effective. The other side is focused on generating skills and improving the skills of a much larger population of workers. And is where did you find that? Was that in the ecosystem of this e-learning company? So it, it wasn't. We, we're constantly in acquisition mode, so we look at a ton of companies. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of networking, which is usually where we find these. Um, and so we actually found this company that had been operating uh, remotely uh, for four years plus. So COVID was no big deal for them. They had already done that. Uh, and so we, it was a company based out of Ohio that we moved back to Texas uh, and put underneath uh, Emlink. Yeah. What kind of, was that a uh, revenue producing company profitable? Yeah. So they had been around. So Sherpa, Co Sherpa coaching, Sherpa uh, and they had been around for 24 years, I believe. Uh, and it was the same thing. The couple that owned them had fantastic at developing this training for fortune 2000 companies. It had a process and a procedure and a methodology that worked every time. Uh, they were great about it. And they had set a specific limit uh, that they didn't want to grow beyond because, again, it was just those two running it, and that's as much as they wanted. Um, but it, it's a fantastic company. Um, they do all sorts of uh, amazing training for these Fortune 2000 companies that keep coming back because it works. Uh, it's just that they also didn't ever really do any uh, real sales and marketing. So do the customers overlap between the, the, the company, the first company you bought and this Sherpa cons consulting? So beautifully they do not. So there's a lot of cross-selling going on now. Yeah. Yeah. What kind of revenue was that doing? Almost the same. I mean, they were at, I think 1.3 when we acquired them. Yeah. Uh, that was in August. Um, so we're, we're doing a number of things to increase the sales, implement the systems, uh, but it's, they're doing really nicely. There's a lot of untapped uh, fruit there. Um, so for instance, one of the largest automakers in the world uses them and has for 10 years for all of their leadership every year. Um, and they keep coming back. And so what we bring on a fractional sales manager and the fractional sales manager, one of his first questions is so, when you went to all the other auto manufacturers with this, what did they say? And the answer was, well, 
yeah, we didn't do that. We don't, we don't go out and do sales. We, we sales comes to us. Yeah. Well, okay. Fair enough. So there's a lot of, uh, a lot of room for growth there that we're starting to tap into now. Yeah. What were, were there dangers, like the risk of having, you know, too much concentration of customers? That usually happens when you have contracts with Fortune 500 companies is like, you know, 50% of my business comes from GM. So there, there was a concentration a concern in that their top customer was I believe it was, I've seen a lot of companies since then, but I believe it was 30% of their business. Yeah. Uh, but when you combined it with uh, M-Link, uh, that diluted out and it wasn't a big deal anymore. Interesting. Now you've got, uh, uh, what, how long have you owned Sherpa Coaching? Uh, so that's been since August. Since August. How many of you, uh, how many businesses have you acquired? So right now, uh, we have acquired uh, this year those two and one other, uh, and we are scheduled to acquire uh, one more business. Uh, it's, it'll be in December, before the end of the year. Yeah. How did you How did you finance the Sherpa acquisition? So Sherpa was a combination of uh, uh, lending and sell, uh, traditional lending and seller financing, uh, yeah. primarily. Um, so we did a... a, a structure that worked for everybody uh, with those two factors uh, and the uh, owners were happy. And certainly the, uh, the, so what we found is a lot of these employees that have aging old owners um, in the back of their mind, they're always saying, okay, what happens next? They can't do this forever. Uh, so when we come in and uh, buy the company and put in uh, new leadership, uh, they're actually relatively relieved because they can now see, well, Okay, my job is going to continue. Uh, this thing can go on for a good long time, and they get pretty excited about the uh, the growth uh, changes that we're planning on making. Yeah, did they? What was important to that Sherpa coaching owner? I mean, it was getting the right valuation from it. You know, sure. did they want money up front, or did they want you know a hundred thousand dollars a year for the next five years? What 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 were they looking for? So it was a combination for them. Uh, really what was important to them, and this is, we find this to be true in a lot of our acquisitions. What was really important to them is that they find people who understand their industry, who are going to keep their employees on, keep the company name going, uh, and be able to take what they've done and grow that to the next level. Uh, so, you know, they, they want somebody to look after their baby, as I've heard it say. Uh, because they've spent so much time with this, they don't want it to just be dissolved or absorbed and just taken the customer list. Or They're looking for people to really take care of their business as one of the most important qualifications for somebody who's going to buy them. Yeah, yeah, that doesn't change from a million-dollar company to a $500 million company. Well, I haven't done that deal yet, so that's good to <laughs> Neither know. Neither have I, but uh, that's what I've read. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So what was the, now, what was the third company that you purchased? So the third company is a SCADA company. So they do uh, oil and gas pipeline networking. Uh, so they, they are primarily an engineering firm where they do the design and consulting around uh, SCADA systems, which, what is you know, system? I don't know how. I'm uh, so, unaware of that. <laughs> so, 
A SCADA system is, think of it as a network for uh, machines. So it, factories, pipelines, uh, power lines, they all operate on a, a what they call an OT network that is separate from the network that you get email and everything else on. Yeah. Because if something goes wrong with OT, well, then you get the colonial pipeline situation. Uh, so it's specifically kept separate from major networks and even the internet. Uh, so that, you know, in this case for pipelines, it can see where the oil is flowing, what the temperature is, specific gravity. They can control the valves all throughout miles of pipeline. Uh, so it, it's a control system specifically for, uh, think of it as, uh, uh, computerized devices. Yeah. So it's a software solution. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Um, and what, what was the, how big was that in revenue? So in revenue, they were doing, uh, so we just acquired them and they will be at, I think 1.6 this year. 1.6. Wow. Yep. You guys, uh, interesting that, uh, I think your, uh, your partner step up and goes, Hey man, why do we need to get a, uh, ONG, uh, software solution to, so I can have some contribution. <laughs> well, I mean, everybody's got to play, right? <laughs> so there's no overlapping you know, O and G with the M link or the Sherpa coaching, but what's the potential with that? So there, we're in a, in my opinion, and lots of people do disagreement with me on this one, but in my opinion, we're about to see a massive expansion of oil and gas related projects. Now that's not exploration and production. Cause that is, they're very nervous on that side right now. Yeah, it's not, that's not what the Biden administration says. <laughs> well, so what the every time the Biden administration speaks, I love it because the price of oil goes up. Well, the yeah, biggest, like they uh, released uh, 50 million barrels of uh, from the reserve and the price goes up to 82 bucks. Well, that's because now you've taken the reserves we have that last that are a several days usage and you've gotten rid of them. So now you've got nobody's drilling new wells. You've got more demand than supply. You have re regulatorily uh, constrained people who want to develop more oil. And you've gotten rid of the last that we had in, in the tank. So now there is no control on price and it's going to rise for a long time to come. Gosh, you would just think that somebody would knew a little bit more about that law called the law of supply and demand. Is that, is that still something? Is that still something we observe today? I heard it was a law, not a theory. <laughs> so in the oil and gas world, if you're doing oil and gas services, the biggest determinant of how well you're going to do that year is what the price of oil is. Uh, and with the price of oil regularly rising, it's great for those businesses. Uh, in order for the price to go down, more supply has to come online. Uh, OPEC has said, you know what? We've had enough of your shale nonsense. We've been spending out of our reserves for five or six years. We're going to go ahead and reap the rewards while we can. Uh, and in the shale world in the U.S., the uh, the drillers out there do not feel comfortable drilling because they feel like, not without good reason, that they're being targeted. Yep, yep. So now, you, now you've got these operating wells that you've got to make live as long as possible, and you've got all these pipelines that must work because the option, other option is you can truck out the oil or you can put it on a train. Either way has larger environmental concerns. Uh, and so all of the oil field services companies that have survived 2020 uh, competition is reduced because there's few of them 
And now that the oil prices are over $80 and going to spike from here, they're in great shape. Yeah. So this, uh, what, uh, $1.6 million acquisition. What did the, uh, was that profitable? Oh yeah. Yeah. What Absolutely. was the, uh, and the guy that owned that, was he around for 20 years also or? 36. 36. Interesting yep. how you're finding all these companies where the guy is probably stagnant or just ex- exhausted. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And we can breathe a little new life into that. Yeah. What was the uh, uh, financing deal stack there? What did that look like? What? How did you present that offer? Uh, so we, we went through a lot of things. Uh, this owner was blessed with two lawyers to help advise him. And uh, that created a lot of complexity over time. Uh, we signed yeah. <laughs> we signed a uh, LOI with him. And after his lawyers got through with it, it was uh, it, it got more and more complicated. Uh, so in the end, we just uh, said, okay, let's assume we just do an as-is deal right here. What's the price on that? And so it, now that ended up being a combination of our money and bank financing, just uh, effectively one single payment uh, at a uh, nice discount because we were just doing all up front. Uh, but also the other half of that is this owner is going to stick with the company for three years uh, to ease into retirement. And he's also going to effectively be mentoring his replacement for the next three years. Did he keep a percentage of the company or was this some kind of uh, uh, seller financing or what? So he, in this particular case, he didn't retain any percentage of the company. Uh, he is being paid on salary still, but again, his main concern is that it gets handed off smoothly and the company continues to operate. Yeah. Uh, so we found a really qualified uh, number two for him, a lieutenant, uh, who he is going to be uh, mentoring for the next three years and, and offloading a lot of the stuff where he's the bottleneck, like statements of work, uh, so that we can uh, grow the business. He was, uh, was this person number two in the company or outside the company? No. This is, again, this is somebody that was in our network and uh, because we, we have connections within the oil and gas world, we can pull him in and he is uh, uh, much younger uh, and is the perfect uh, replacement at, over time. Yeah. What kind of multiple did you get on him? Before, what, did, so what was that, he asking before the cash discount and what, was it a different multiple, like, you know, a point or a whole point or two points or something? So in the end, the uh, what he was looking for was really, again, it's so uh, to back up a second, a lot of professional services companies where there's no ongoing contract, mm-hmm. so there's no ARR effectively at all. Uh, they'll go for between one and two times uh, uh, EBITDA or some version of EBITDA. Yeah. Uh, Let me ask so, you about this. It, it, uh, that is really low. Uh and I used to be in software. So how old was this code at 36 years old? Well, so again, they don't, so they're not developing code per se. What they're doing is um, they design networks. So they stay up to date on what the industry is doing. They do a full design on a network that may go over like a third of a country. uh, And they just stay up to date on what the latest standards are so that they can put in place this design for a network. And so for the last, as an aside, for the last 20 years, they've been doing um, 
pipeline cybersecurity, which was, you know, piece of what they did because you got to protect the networks so that people, you know, ever since Stuxnet, it turns out there's countries trying to get control of our infrastructure. Oh, yeah. So um, they they have done uh, pipeline cybersecurity for 20 years, which now is a very hot commodity since the Department of Energy and the Department of Transportation has told all pipeline owners, uh, you need a cybersecurity plan, you need a remediation plan, and you need to tabletop this thing, and it all needs to be done in the next 90 days. Now, so is there's no way a, that's going to happen. Is that a requirement, and do you get any tax deductions on that? Because put that in place, it, or is it just a new cap it, expense? So all of that is a requirement of the pipeline owners. Yeah. So that means a ton of business for this company. Because there aren't many companies that have cybersecurity, specifically pipeline cybersecurity skills. Um, but the Department of Energy is forcing every pipeline owner since Colonial to put these plans in place. So it means a ton of new business for this company. Yeah. So it's more like a it, it, an IT services firm to design a network. It's, a lot like it's not a software, like, uh, you know, pay monthly kind of deal. It's a, No, 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 no. Okay. So they'll go in, they'll do a design uh, for, you know, the super majors, the majors, uh, they'll go in and they will even write the specs for the RFP and sometimes write the RFP for the uh, hardware firms that are going to bid on this thing. Yeah. So there's lots of, uh, uh, there's lots of SCADA based hardware that controls all the pipeline and valves and everything along the pipeline that are going to bid for this business from a, you know, super major oil firm. Uh, and so this company does the design for the network to make sure it's secure. And then they do the RFP and set up the specifications. Uh, and then they'll also project manage the implementation if that's what the, the customer wants. Yeah. And your partner has the domain expertise in this particular niche. What does he think the company can be? Oh, so so the biggest limitation on the growth of this company is really the skill set. Uh, there are a lot of folks who know um, uh, pieces of SCADA networking. Uh, this company has some guys that have immense backgrounds in this area. And what the biggest limitation is we're going to have to bring in younger guys or gals who have this skill set, but it, it won't be nearly as mature and we have to train them up uh, in everything they need to know. So that's the growth limitation is just the number of people with that skill set we can bring in. Gotcha. So you've got uh, now a $2 million Emily company. You got a Sherpa coaching company and then a, a SCADA ONG networking company you're doing about do about five million dollars in revenue now um and yep. all profitable what's exactly that, well, yeah. that's how we buy it yeah yeah what's next are you going to stick with the million dollar average age 20 years old or or look <laughs> That's not the intention. That's just what comes to us. You know? It's like, that's what um, comes to you. I, mean, I love that boring stuff because that, you know, that they're really tired. They're looking for a transition and they're exhausted and they're stagnant. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, so next we are actually approached by somebody in Houston that has 20 years of experience in HVAC and wanted to acquire his own company. Uh, so we've worked with him and some uh, finance partners and we, uh, before the end of December, we'll have closed the first uh, HVAC plumbing company for him. And then we're going to, we're, the plan is to do about a $10 million roll up of additional small HVAC companies around Houston and tack them on for this guy. Yeah. Uh, so 
he's going to do the operations because he's our domain expert. Uh, we're going to identify and negotiate and buy the companies that tack on. Uh, and we're going to grow this thing to a, uh, a, a significant size. Yeah. Interesting. I did an interview with uh, Adam Coffey who, you know, buys 10 to 20, 10 to $50 million HVAC companies around the country. Yep. Yeah. Um, how is this? Structure... Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry. The HVAC in Houston, it's just a no brainer. They're always profitable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's hot and humid all the time. Yeah. So what's the structure of this? You have a holding incorporation company at the top and are these LLCs, each separate LLCs or something different? So most of the uh, HVAC companies are S-Corps and then we have a holding company above them. Yes. Yeah. What about the other software company? How do you have that set up? Uh, so we have uh, both software companies are a S corp with an S corp holding company above them. Yeah. So the idea is eventually when we do sell them, they'll all be combined together in the single holding company and we'll sell the holding company. Yeah. Interesting. What are you trying to get this to? Do you have a vision for what size of revenue you want this to be? So we don't have a revenue vision so much as we have an annual uh, acquisitions goal. Uh, because there are rules for our acquisitions, as in they must be profitable, we have to be able to get them at a reasonable rate so that when we step into them, they're still making money. Yeah. Um, they have to have a customer base and all that. So we've got rules behind what we do. We, we just set a uh, uh, goal for acquisitions for the year. So this year, 2021, our goal was four. We're going to hit four. So good news there. Um, with some uh, new people and techniques that we're looking at, we're actually looking at eight for next year. Yeah. Why is this? Are you bringing a new partner is, or has you just got better deal flow? So we have definitely have better deal flow. Uh, and we're going to bring on additional uh, analysts and salespeople uh, to be able to uh, go through that deal flow in a much uh, rap more rapid pace. Hey, let me go back to this, how you guys are paying yourselves uh, a, a distribution of profits uh, or mm -hmm. are you an employee of the corporation at the top or is it you guys just, you know, Hey, here's the cash flow out of this business or it's not cash flowing. Here's, here's your share. So I am, I'm an employee of Sweetview Partners. Uh, and so as we put together each of these deals, uh, it's, it's a, in a lot of ways, it's uh, a lot of a law firm model, but it's, um, uh, you know, you, uh, you eat what you kill. Uh, yeah. So we all have the opportunity to participate in on whatever acquisitions we bring on. Uh, usually we each are, are buying in with our own funds. Uh, and the uh, funds that come back uh, are based on that profitability uh, that we spent, that we pay out quarterly. Yeah. And are you looking for a specific number, a IRR number? Uh, so for our own company or for uh, the, uh, the portfolio in general? Yeah. Portfolio in general. So again, there's no specific number we're looking for. Uh, we know that if we acquire healthy companies that have no idea how to do sales and marketing and we 
apply additional leadership and infrastructure and a fractional sales manager, fractional marketing manager to each of these, when we buy them, we know they'll grow. So it's just a matter of time as to how much money they'll produce. So that's not a pressing concern for us. Well, I mean, certainly profitability is a concern for us, but we know if we do the right things with these companies, they're perfectly situated to grow. So again, we focus on the number of acquisitions we can do. And since all of our acquisitions have to be self-supporting and healthy, uh, each one we acquire will mean IRR down the road. And we don't worry about what that specific target is for the portfolio as a whole. We look at these as individual companies and we have individual profitability targets, uh, which will in the end bring us uh, the money we need to keep things running and keep us fed you know, going on cruises, all that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, it makes sense. I mean, I some funds or some groups that acquire companies, you know, their criteria weigh their criteria, the, the IRR that they need. So they work backwards about what that profitability takes. And sure. maybe growth from a 1.6 to a 5 is not as big as a deal uh, to do that. Um, so generally speaking, again, we have... Each company uh, has to meet certain requirements and certain profitability goals. Uh, yeah. So the, the targets take care of themselves. Uh, what we look for is we look for focus on the key items that we can best produce profitability right now with this company. Uh, and those obviously keep changing over time. So we implement things. We relook, you know, it's, it's using uh, operating systems of various sorts. We relook at what's out there. What's the best opportunity for us? We get involved with those next few items. Uh, there's always a uh, just way too much uh, low-hanging fruit for us to go for when we first get in. So it's a matter of prioritizing the low-hanging fruit. And we know if we go after it, profit will result. Did you guys, uh, your partners, uh, did you learn anything about new about your partners that, you know, only – uh, shows up after the crucible of fire about something going right, something going wrong uh, that you didn't see before? Or are you guys old enough and been around long enough to say, you know? Well, yeah, we're, you know, any partnership, you're always learning about each other. Um, you know, you learn, you know, what uh, people's uh, real risk talents are. You You learn how they approach hardship. You learn all these sorts of things. But uh, in the end, uh, the three of us have a really good mixture of skill sets and views. So we get a whole lot more out of the three of us looking at any given company, whether it's pre-purchase or post-purchase, yeah. than you do with any individual. And, you know, sure, do we sit around and argue about them? Yeah, we do. But in the end, you know, we're not, you know, we have a good enough relationship that we're not looking to uh, attack each other or we, we don't distrust each other. So you, you do have to have that trust um, so that when the argument is over, we go, okay, well, that's how we're going forward. Let's move on. Yeah. Does each one have a, a veto power over that? Or, you know, as somebody's ever stood up and said, Hey, you know, we got to go for this one because I know we can do this. And two other guys say, no, I don't think that's possible to do, but it, you know, they don't have any experience in that industry. So, right. So we, we don't get involved in deals that we don't agree on. Uh, we haven't specifically, again, we're a small company, so we haven't 
put together a list of rules that says anyone veto means we don't do it. But yeah. in the end, if we can't convince the other partners to do it, then there's enough opportunities out there that we're all going to agree on. And it's not worth creating the, uh, the infighting among the partnership to go after a deal that we don't all want to do. There's lots of companies out there. Yeah. And you're just kind of look, looking in the Texas area. Well, you bought one from Ohio back then. Yeah. <laughs> right. So we'll bring them back to Texas if we ever ha- already have a headquarters here, but we're looking for all of our companies to be uh, based in and uh, the companies are uh, uh, seated in Texas. Yes. Yeah. Are you going to look at any B2C companies or all the B2B type uh, companies? So our focus is B2B companies generally. Now, there is always a, uh, uh, an exception, and usually it involves uh, guns these days. So lots of our people uh, really like gun stores and shooting ranges and that sort of thing. Yeah. So if we do get involved in B2C, it's probably going to be something around that. But our focus is really B2B. We, we, you know, I trained in uh, Six Sigma and, you know, we try and lay out our rails and say, listen, if we stay within these guardrails, we know what we're doing and we will stay within uh, enough of a, a, a lane that we won't get ourselves into such a bad situation that it will crater any given thing. Yeah. Circle of uh, confidence. So, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Do you guys, have you changed any, learned anything from when you started and where you are today about, you know, who you are? Like we are harder guy today yeah. or what are just happier because I, the, what I, the risks I'm taking. So we, we are constantly learning and changing that that's uh, without that. I don't know that we would uh, be able to keep doing this. Uh, but the reality is uh, one thing that uh, one of the partners keeps um, saying to people we're interviewing, we're doing some interviews right now is, uh, you know, we, are there stressful situations? Sure. Are, are there, is there trouble? Absolutely. Uh, is it potentially multiplied the more companies you get? Potentially. Yes. Yeah. But I would never trade this for any regular job ever again. I don't feel like I'm working here. We're just having fun. Yeah. Yeah. There's, you're never going back to the ordinary world. No, I don't think they would take me. No. Unemployable. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. Good. So you've got another uh, HVAC closing, uh, five deals in the hopper. Or, or even more than that next year. What, what's next? I mean, are you thinking about raising some capital to help you acquire these companies faster? Not really. Um, so in looking into that, uh, having your own fund is a special layer of hell, apparently. Uh, so what we tend to do uh, is we tend to partner with those companies. Uh, so we uh, we're talking to a guy who has a fund. He spent the last year putting it together. Uh, I think it's a $20 million fund now, and he cannot find uh, a company to buy that meets their requirements uh, for the, to save his life. So they're looking and they have a real difficulty finding companies that aren't either way overpriced or falling apart. Yeah. And would he loan you the money or is he talking about acquiring the company for you? So we would become equity partners with them. Yeah. 
so we've uh the next i'm sorry controlling interest he would become a controlling interest i mean sometimes the funds yeah. mandates that say hey we got to own 51 percent. so we don't do that um uh our our basic setup is that uh the money will never control the the uh, company um so we we develop you know very uh, amenable arrangements the the uh, agreements that we have make sure that their rights are protected but uh, we don't do uh, 51% funded deals. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, in this environment, it turns out that they've been good at raising money in a fund, which they have to deploy. Uh, it turns out that we've kind of lurched into being good at finding companies that are for sale that uh, haven't been, you know, misled through advisors at this stage. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the partnership works really nicely. Yeah, that's like like two matches right there. I mean, he needs companies exactly. and you may need money. Yeah. Does yep. he have to return the money if he doesn't find investments or is there a, some kind of a sense of urgency? Well, there's always a sense of urgency when you can't find something to buy. Yeah. Uh, because the people who gave you money said, I could have put it in the bank on my own. You better do something with it soon or I'm going to take it back. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Well, that's, Daniel, I mean, this is a great conversation. I really appreciate you uh, sharing details about your deals and your deal flow. I, I, I really wish you the best of success on this. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah. Uh, we always love talking to people about this. And frankly, we spend more time uh, talking to investors and uh, actually individual companies who we won't end up doing business with in the end not because we don't like them, just our situations don't match. And half of the fun we get to have now that we're not part of big companies is we get to help everybody we talk to. We get to push companies. Uh, you know, I know an investor that does what you want. They're over there. Or I know of a company that you're looking to buy. It's over here. Uh, and we just create a community that uh, really serves each other. And that's half the fun. Yeah, you're less compartmentalized. Um, right versus being you know inside a company exactly yeah well geez i i want to say thank you very much uh we've come to the end of our time and i really appreciate you being a guest on the top m a entrepreneurs i appreciate it john thank you so much okay take care all right bye-bye all right bye